Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Amen. If you take out your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, open them up to James chapter 4. I'm going to read just a few verses in James 4 and then the first 12 verses from James chapter 5. So we'll start in verse 11. I'll read 11, 12, drop down to 17, and then we'll go into chapter 5. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your, for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. This is, uh, Lord willing, the next to last message in this series on the book of James. We have come through considering that that God has worked a mighty work and is working a mighty work in his church. But that the church in the early church in that day, as all the many of the New Testament writers were writing the church was going to go through persecution, was going through persecution. And again, what they believed was going to affect how they acted and how they specifically acted according to those persecutions. And so James begins the book with what? Count it all joy when you fall into divers or many types of trials, tribulations, troublesome situations knowing that the testing of your faith worketh patience. And he continues on with that. And so we've, we've transitioned as we've come through the, the perfect law of liberty into this perfect way of wisdom. But we've seen now as we come into this perfect way of wisdom that the same concept is being played out as we come into here. And we saw a couple weeks ago as we came into this that there are two different kind of wisdoms then. That as we walk through the world, as we face these troublesome times, There are two different kind of wisdoms that we can follow. There's the wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom of the world, earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom, is demonic wisdom. It comes from the father of lies. And it it has all the chaotic, if you would, results that you would expect from that. But the wisdom that is from God, that is heavenly wisdom, 
then it comes from the Father of Lights, right? And it comes through all these peaceable fruits that are there. We then saw that these two wisdoms are in conflict with one another. They, they're not compatible with one another. They, they can't stand with one another. And so last week, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians 6 real quick as what is light to do with darkness. And then we saw then that God has given us this prescription for heavenly wisdom, how we then gain heavenly wisdom. Um, and that is the first and foremost thing we need to what? Submit to God. What's the second thing along with submitting to God there? Resisting the devil. Remember, standing against Satan, okay? That's going to come into play. We're not going to talk about it a lot today, but that concept of resisting, because when you, you heard, hopefully you heard in the reading, and they do not resist you, okay? So, so this is a spiritual concept, okay, that we're talking about in the spiritual battle that's there, choosing then the wisdom of God as opposed to the wisdom of the world. I'm going to submit myself to God, resist the devil, and then go through all the rest of these steps, but then I'm going to, it's going to culminate in humbling myself again before God, okay? And so in order to have the wisdom of God, I need to submit to God. I need to humble myself before God. And we saw then that we're going to be moving into these applications that James is going to make from heavenly wisdom. And last week we began with considering the, the will of Yahweh, the will of the Lord. And we saw that man is limited, that God is sovereign. And as we consider the limitless, limitless, not the limitlessness, the limitedness of man, we saw that man is limited in his knowledge and man is limited in his days. And as a result of that, from Psalm 30, no, Psalm 90, um, David culminates and says, so teach us to number our days that we may what? Gain a heart of wisdom. So there's a part of knowing that you're just a piece of dust. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. You're just a vapor. And there's wisdom that comes from that, that you understand that, look, you know, you're not going to live on this earth, in this mortal body, forever. So, so don't deceive yourself. Recognize the fact that there's coming a day, what we're going to go transition to today, there's going to come a day of a, a judgment, a day when you're going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to even account then for not only what you've done and everything you've spoken, we'll share that in a moment, but what you've done to others. The second part of this application is the treatment of others. And that's what we're coming to today. And that is, so as Jesus said, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second was like unto it, to love your neighbors as yourself. That's exactly right. Good job, Jesse. That's exactly right. Okay. And so I was just talking about you this week. I said, I love it when the little guys are on track with me. Yeah. So thank you. And so so that's exactly right, okay? So we're supposed to, um, to love our neighbors. And so think about it. If I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and when I get to heaven and I'm going to stand before the judge, I'm going to give an account for that. That's the very first and foremost thing. I mean, do you love God or not? You ain't getting into heaven if you don't love God. That's just a fact, right? But what, what's the second thing you're going to start giving an account for? Whether you're loving your neighbor. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And we kind of discount that thing you know, and act like it's not there. It's there, and we're going to give an account for it. We're going to stand before the judge. So that's where um, James is going to go now, and he's going to do it in the way that he's done it before. He's going to give a negative, and he's going to give the positive coming off of that. And so the negative that he starts with here is going to be the example that he uses, and that is regarding the rich. And so we pick it up in verse 1, where it says, again, the word come now, or the, the phrase come now is this derision that he's, he's throwing at them like he gave the, the come now about you think you're going to, you talk about what you're going to do tomorrow and next year and you don't have a clue. Well, now he's saying this to the rich and he's saying, come now you rich, weep how and, uh, and how for your miseries that are coming upon you. Okay. So he's looking ahead. Okay. Um, and, and, and telling them, look, you got a bad thing. Why? Well, the first thing is, um, oh, before we get there, we're going to talk about their identity because it says you rich. Now I want to, because I want to break out real quick that he's not talking to believers. They're not believers, okay? He's talking to the rich, but these aren't believers, okay? Verse 6 tells us, he says, um, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. So these individuals are killing who? Believers, yeah, Christians, believers. They're killing the just, okay? Verse 7 then goes on and says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So now all of a sudden he's turning around and he's talking to the brethren. Make sense? So he's talking to the rich of the world, okay? And he's condemning them in a sense, okay? And then he turns around and he's going to talk to the believers, 
as a result of this, okay? So the first thing here is these, these aren't believers, okay? So, but the second thing is they are the rich who are following the wisdom of the world. So there is a challenge to me real quickly in that, I don't want to spend time on it, and that is the, you all are in, in this room right now, whether you realize it or not, are rich. Now, you may compare yourself to somebody else that's in our culture or somebody who may be in the room, and you may say, well, I'm not as rich as them, and so therefore I'm poor, or I'm lower middle class. But do you realize that even the poor in our culture are rich in the world? Okay? So, so we, we kind of, again, have this self-delusion, not of grandeur, but of diminishedness, you know? And we are. We're, we're, we're very rich. And we're going to give an account, in the same way. And we can get sucked into, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we can get sucked into the worldly wisdom, okay? But God has given us the riches, which we'll see in a moment, for his benefit, for the, kingdom, for the kingdom's benefit, not necessarily for our own, okay? So their state, they're in a state of corruption. And this is where we bring this out. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and the rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so the same concept, James is now applying and he says, your riches, what buddy? I, I remember the mark when we did a way through Satan so loud. Say it again. I remember when we did a way through Satan so loud. And like, oh, we, yeah, we said away with you, Satan. That's exactly right. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, that's right, okay? So on, on Wednesday night with the kids, we worked on Jesus overcoming the temptations. Away with you, Satan! You know, so yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's what you got to tell Satan. Away with you, Satan. And so Jesus here in Matthew 6, though, is talking about the kingdom, and he says, don't lay up the treasures for yourself on earth, right? Where the moth is going to corrupt it and stuff like that. Well, that's what James is talking about here in James 5. And he says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. In other words, what? They're going to be gone. They're worthless. They're, they're totally worthless. Okay? Your, your gold and your silver, they're corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. Now, there's a whole lot of, of, of thought processes going into what happens when the United States economy dies, okay? And so I'm not picking on anybody's specific way of doing things, okay? Um, because you can have money in the stock market. The stock market crumbles, what? It's all gone. You can have your money in a bank. And, and, and all of a sudden the banks go away. Some people are buying gold and silver thinking, well, at least gold and silver are what? All around. But God's word says your, sil- your gold and silver are what? It's still corroded. If you're trusting in anything other than God, it's worthless. Do you get it? If you're trusting in anything for your future other than God, it's worthless. It's a moth-eaten, rust-corroded treasure. Rather, Jesus told us to lay up treasures in heaven where that's not going to happen. The moth doesn't eat it. It's not corroded. And he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Also, and so we need to, so as we look at the condemnation on these worldly rich people, okay, again, not believers, but worldly rich people, we as believers need to ask ourselves, what? Does this apply? Does it stick to myself? And if it does, to not hide from that, okay? Where is my heart? Where are my treasures? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and Mammon, and if you've been here long enough, you know mammon, the word mammon, literally, if you brought it over today, it would be materialism. It's the things that money buys. You cannot serve God in materialism. It's almost like he, a couple thousand years ago, was talking about the United States. Who is the God of the United States? Materialism. We could call it mammon. We could actually put a name to our God and say our God's name is mammon. We wouldn't state it that way. But we literally, this Friday, a lot of people are going to be bowing down to the God of Mammon. Right? I mean, it's already pushed on us. I mean, now, even before Halloween, you got Christmas decorations. And I wish they were all about Jesus, but they're not about Jesus. It's about the God of Mammon. And this Friday, begins the festival of the God of Mammon. It's called Black Friday. There's a reason it's called Black. Anyways, and so... And so over the course then of this next so many weeks, you're going to be inundated 
to worship the God of Mammon, to celebrate the God of Mammon, who's being juxtaposed to the God who is incarnate. Does it make sense? So be careful. You know, he who casts a stone, right? You know, you know, judge not lest you be what? Judged. And so do we do, are we in the same light as these guys here? Okay, well, look what then um, their judgment. Okay, because that's where we're going. Okay, so the judgment. Are, am I, are you guys clicking for me or, or are you out of it? You have it? Okay. Um, so the judgment. We're going to take a moment here, okay? This is planned. So I want to stop and I want to talk about the judge. Because in this passage, James says, he says, he, he goes on, he talks about how these guys are, and we'll come back to their crime in a moment, uh, what these things they're doing. But he says that the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of who? Verse 4, end of verse 4. The Lord of Sabaoth, okay? I want to talk about the Lord of Sabaoth because he's the judge, okay? And, and I want to do this. We're going to go through all these passages, all those passages. We're going to go through them, right? So and they're not up there. So get your fingers ready, and we're going to start. Let's go to 1 Samuel 1.3, okay? 1 Samuel 1.3, because I want to introduce you to, some of you may not need this introduction, but some of you may. I want to introduce you to Yahweh Sabaoth. And I think by the end of it, you're going to be shocked. Yahweh Sabaoth begins in 1 Samuel 1.3. This is the first time that we read of Yahweh Sabaoth. Now, it's not the first time we read about Yahweh. Where do we first read Yahweh? Don't tell me Genesis 1. I know it's here. But when, 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 or when were we first really introduced to Yahweh? Exodus 3. When he talks to Moses, this is my name. This is what I want to be called by. This is what I want to be remembered by. Okay? And so, so Yahweh. In uh, 1 Samuel 1, 3, we see then, um, this man, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to Yahweh Sabaoth in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of Yahweh, were there. So, at this point now of Samuel, okay, so... Um, not David yet, okay, but Samuel, Yahweh is being known as Yahweh Sabaoth, okay? This is important as we come through. So this is the first time, so 1 Samuel 15, verse 2. Now, again, there are many other passages. We're not going to those about Yahweh Sabaoth. I'm just introducing you to him as we come through um, to who he is, okay? Yahweh, so 1 Samuel 15, verse 2. I'll start at verse 1 for the context. Samuel also said to Saul, Yahweh has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, oxen and sheep, camel and donkey. That sounds kind of rough, right? But who declared it? Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh says, I'm going to tell you something. And so Yahweh Sabaoth spoke it. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it was this Yahweh Sabaoth who told him to, to, to destroy all these nations that they're still fighting with now today because they didn't do it. 2 Samuel 6, verse 2. I'll start again, start at verse 1. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name Yahweh Sabaoth who dwells between the cherubim. So Yahweh is his name, is what he wants to be known by, but his formal name is what? Yahweh Sabaoth. And that's the name that he's called by. That's the name that he's going to go by, and you're going to see this. Yahweh Sabaoth. Sabaoth by itself means armies or hosts. So he is the, he is the one who is, Yahweh means the one who is, so he is the one who is, and he is over the armies of heaven. He is over the, the hosts, okay? Psalm 24, verse 10. We'll read all of Psalm 24, actually. But verse 10 is where it's going to be. 
I'll just start quoting it, right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all who live in it. There we go. For he, um, for he founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of Yahweh? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We talked about this when we were talking about the, the, um, the, the prescription, right? For, for heavenly wisdom. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Yahav, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. What's, what, what's the psalmist talking about? Talking about when Messiah comes, second coming of Messiah, and he comes entering into the into the into the in Jerusalem. Lift up your heads, O you gates, verse seven, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of Glory shall come in. Who is this King of Glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of Glory shall come in. Who is this King of Glory? Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the King of Glory. He's going to come, and he's going to fight the nations. And Chesed Nemet is going to be tattooed on his thigh. He's going to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he's going to come, he's going to destroy the nations, and he's going to enter into Jerusalem. Who's going to do it? What's his name? Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth. He's going to be the one who does it. Isn't this fun? Isaiah 3. Isaiah, Jeremiah proclaim Yahweh Sabaoth a lot. Isaiah 3, to look at, again, context as we come. I'm going to begin it from 10 to 15. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for the reward of his hands shall be given to him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women roll over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Yahweh stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. Yahweh will enter into judgment in the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard and plundered the poor in your houses. Sounds like what he's talking about in James here too, a little bit, huh? And he says, what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Says, at, so... See, it says, Lord, God of hosts, okay? In this part, it's Adonai. Thus says, Adonai, Yahweh Sabaoth, okay? So when it's, you have to kind of, in the, in the Hebrew, how it's played out, okay? So when it, the spellings in the English kind of tip you off, okay? So, but it's Adonai, he's the Lord, he's the master. Thus says the Lord and master, Yahweh Sabaoth, right? And I lost my place. There we go. Uh, moreover, Yahweh says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord Adonai will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and Yahweh will uncover their secret parts. We won't need to get into the rest of that, okay? But the point is that Yahweh Sabaoth is Adonai. He is the master, he is the Lord, and he will be the judge. Okay? Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 5. This is fun. You guys know where we're going with this passage, right? So tell me what it is. What's happening in Isaiah 6, 1 to 5? Say again. King Uzziah. Well, it's after King Uzziah died. So Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai, I saw the Lord, lifting on, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and it stood in and above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. One cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts and doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Sabaoth. Isaiah had a hard time seeing Yahweh Sabaoth until the earthly king was taken away. He admired Uzziah. Uzziah was a great king. He had to be taken out. When King Uzziah died, all of a sudden he sees who? The real king. The king of kings. Yahweh Sabaoth. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. 
So as a um, uh, promo here, as well as we get into this, um, for Christmas, Lord willing, the goal for the elders is that we're going to be teaching from Isaiah um, 9, verse 6 and 7, um, but primarily verse 6, talking about the four names of this child who's going to be born. And so we'll start, Lord willing, on that first Sunday of December with Steve teaching on Wonderful Counselor, and then David teaching about the uh, Mighty God, and then I'll teach on Everlasting Father, and then Chuck will be talking about the Prince of Peace. But look what it says here then in this concept of what we're talking about now. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Pele Yuitz. He will be the El Gabor, the Mighty God. He will be the, the Aviad, the Everlasting Father. He will be the Sar Shalom. He will be the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forever, even more, the zeal of who? Yahweh Sabaoth will perform it. You getting a picture of who Yahweh Sabiath is here? Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel, in his Redeemer, Yahweh Sabiath, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me there is no God. I love that passage. I love it when I'm talking to Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. Besides me, there is what? There is no God. Who's talking? Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh, Yahweh Sabaoth. He's saying, look, man, I'm the first. I'm the last. Before me, beside me, there is no other God. Well, really? Okay, well, let's go now to Zechariah chapter 14. Again, the prophets replete with talking about Yahweh Sabaoth. Zechariah 14, verse 9. And Yahweh shall be king over all the earth. And in that day it shall be Yahweh is one, and his name is one. Why do we need to be told that? In that day, who's going to be reigning on the earth? No, no, what's it say right here? What's it say, Alyssa? Yahweh, good job. That's exactly right, baby. Yahweh, Eliana, it's going to be, Yahweh is going to be reigning on the earth. Yahweh in person, in the flesh, is going to reign on the earth. And at that time, everybody's going to realize and everybody's going to proclaim, oh, wait, Yahweh's name is Echad. It's one. There really is one. There is this triune God that we couldn't comprehend before. Because we know who is it physically. Don't use the name Yahweh now. The name that we know, Jesus. That's why Jesus is given the name that is above every name. And what name is that? Yahweh Sabaoth. Do you get it? This is who he is. It's who he always has been. He just manifested himself. In the flesh, he became incarnate. Mind-boggling. We'll, we'll go through that more through the Christmas season, the Feast of Incarnation. It's just an amazing thing to me. It's who he is. Let's go to Revelation. Let's confirm it. Revelation. I know I skipped verse 16, 17. Sorry about that. But that's where it says that they're going to come see him. Revelation 1. <laughs> So now John is on the Isle of Patmos, right? And he hears this voice behind him. So he turns and he's, he's, he's listening, right? So verses 4 to 20. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Who's he talking about? 
It's pretty clear, right? And made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. That comes from Zechariah, right? Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says who? Yahweh. The Lord. In the Greek it says the Lord, right? We don't read it Yahweh in the Greek. But now all of a sudden, we get it, right? Because we know from Isaiah who said that. Yahweh. And so now this one is proclaiming, but who's John talking about? Jesus. Who's talking? Yes. It's exactly right. It's Yahweh Sabaoth, isn't it? There's Yahweh's talking. That's Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh, and Yahweh is Jesus. And this is who's proclaiming, right? I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was called in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard from behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded to the chest with a golden band, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brasses refined in a furnace, and his voice was as a sound of many waters. These are all statements regarding Yahweh. You read Ezekiel. This is Yahweh. You read the Psalms, the voice of the sound of many waters, it's, it's Yahweh. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth and a two, sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's not Stop for a moment. Hear me in context. That's not God apart from Jesus. Because God apart from Jesus, think about it, wasn't on the earth, right? He didn't die. He didn't come alive again. Who died and came back to life again? Jesus. So who must this be? Jesus. And whoever this individual is, and it's Jesus, is claiming to be who? Yahweh. And John seeing him as Yahweh. Do you get it? Yahweh Sabaoth. And you can read the other ones as we go. I, just, I spent a lot of time this week on Friday just over being overwhelmed again with Yahweh Sabaoth. This is my God. This is my Lord. He's not different. Jesus isn't different from Yahweh. He is Yahweh. And you've got Yahweh Adonai, Yahweh Sabaoth, and Yahweh Ruach. I can't explain it. I'm praying, I've been praying for years, Lord, open my eyes so that I may understand this triuneness greatness of yours. And that's all I can bring it into the Hebrew, you know, with, with in Isaiah 48, when we read from that Yahweh Adonai, that Yahweh declares, Yahweh Sabaoth is being sent by Yahweh Adonai in his Ruach. And yet Yahweh is one. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the one who is. He is the creator. And he is the one who we will stand before. And all the world will stand before. In Revelation chapter 20, when you read that about the judgment, he's the judge whom everybody will give an account to. And so to these rich then, who are doing these things to the righteous, to the just, right? Who are they going to give an account to? Yahweh, but who is Yahweh to the righteous and the just? He's their defender. He's their protector. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the armies. He's the one who's over them all. As we come into Christmas, a little bit side like little thing going on. When you think about Bethlehem, you know, and you had all those angels with their, their harps and, their, their, and, the, and the wings and they were flying around, singing around. That wasn't who they were. 
Do you realize it was Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who was being incarnate in Bethlehem? The commander of the armies was being born. Who do you think was all around Bethlehem that day? The armies. <laughs> they were defending the general, baby. They were around there, and nothing was coming through. They weren't little bitty, you know, cheer. Blah, blah, blah. They were there with swords. You know why the shepherds were, were panicked? Because they saw them. They saw them and who they were. They got warriors, angelic warriors who were there. Imagine the battle was going on around Bethlehem that day. You can read about it in Revelation, okay? And it's just an amazing thing, okay? Yahweh Sabaoth, he's the one. Think about what we read about in Samuel with the Amalekites. Kill them all, right? He's the one. That's still Jesus. There's no God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. It's one God. And when you stand before the judge, that's who he is. He's to be feared. That's why it says the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> and teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because at the end of your days, you're going to meet who? Your maker. We joke about that. But it's true. Well, what were their crimes? First of all, they extorted from others. They've extorted others for their own pleasures. They weren't giving them their wages. They could have. They should have paid them. We're, we're, to, we're told in the law, and I don't have time to go through this, but in the law, it says, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Each day you shall give him his wages. Why? Because the poor has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to Yahweh. And what do we read in this passage? The poor have done what? <clears throat> They've cried out to Yahweh Sabaoth, and he's heard them, and now he's going to defend them. In Colossians 4.1 says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that they also have a master in heaven, or that you also have a master in heaven. You're going to give an account. So if you own a business, this is for you. Pay them like you want to be paid if you were in their place. Never forget. I tried when I owned that home improvement business. I tried to never forget, what if I was the guy working for him? How would I want to be paid? That's how I should pay him. Make sense? Don't turn around and say, now all of a sudden it's my money. Oh, man, I don't want, oh, 50 cents more an hour. Oh, that kind of works out to what? Oh, $20 a week. Oh, that works out to $80 a month. Oh, that works out to 900 And now all of a sudden you start paying people less because you want to have more. That's what we just read, Revelation 5, or James 5. Don't do it. Don't do it. They have condemned the righteous for their own justification. They've condemned the righteous for their own justification. Why? Because now all of a sudden you stand there and you are a condemnation to them. Just in who you are, walking in, in righteousness before the Lord. And so they've got to condemn you. So in Matthew 12, we have these two words, justified and condemned. That's our word for, um, that's there in, in James 5. It's katadikaios katadikaios, and it's against righteousness is really what it is, okay? And so you have the, the justified who are the dikaios, okay? Those are the just, the righteous, but then you have this condemnation that are against the righteous is the idea that's going on there, okay? And so they, came out, they come out against you, so they can't really condemn you, but in their own hearts they do, because to, to condemn you is to elevate themselves. They make themselves feel better. If they can prove you're a hypocrite, they can try to justify their own what? Sinfulness, okay? And that's what they've done. But look what it says that the Dikaios do in James 5. I don't, yeah, I want to read that in a second. So what do, the, what, do the, what do the righteous do, the just do, as they're being condemned? What's it say? He does not resist. Remember that. We don't resist. That's hard. That's hard to be, so read 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, I don't have time to go there, okay? But it's hard to, to be beaten and, and to be whipped, if you would, to be treated wrongfully and to endure it. But Jesus said it's an example. We're told about it in 1 Peter 2. All right, turn to Psalm 73. I know I'm, I'm, I'm running here on time, but we're coming into the final swing. We're, we're getting ready to land a plane, I promise you. But we're reading all Psalm 73. We're reading it. I'm not skipping it. Because this is Asaph. This is a precious psalm. It's a mind-boggling psalm. Anyways, and it's Asaph telling us about how he looked at the rich. And he became envious. And he wanted to be like them. 
Yeah, it's a, isn't that kind of cool? Would you, would you like to sing a, a hymn like that? And Lord, I saw the rich and I was all jealous about them. And, da, 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 you know. and you know, we don't want to sing that kind of stuff. But look at what it plays at the end. Truly God is a God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Ooh, wait, did he include that for real? He did, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. That's what it seems like, right? They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase their riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Lord, I don't get it. Man, these guys got everything. There's no problems for them. I want to be like them. I mean, because all I'm doing is suffering. For your name, oh God, I'm suffering. I'm rejoicing in my suffering. Oh God, I want to be like them. That's what he's saying, right? So he goes on. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the presence sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. When I meditated on God, I remembered that we're all going to stand before a judge and they have the reward already and where they're going to spend the rest of eternity because of the rejection. Surely you have set them in a slippery places. You have cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So Yahweh, so Adonai, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my spirit. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you my flesh and my heart fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for indeed those who are far from you shall perish you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry but it is good for me to draw near to God I have put my trust in Yahweh in Adonai Yahweh that I may declare all your works so back to James they're going to stand before their judge. Don't be envious. Don't be envious. Rather, on the other side, sorry, on the other side, we come to us in the exhortation about our focus. We need, and so three times coming through here as he's talking about the things we need to do, he's telling us to do what? Look to the coming of the Lord. Focus on Yahweh's coming. Yahweh's coming. Focus on the coming of Yahweh. As Throughout these days, as you look at the rich and you think, oh man, these guys aren't giving an account for anything, da da da. Remember, 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 don't lose focus on what we're looking for. If you're running the race, you got to be looking toward the finish line. You can't forget about it. Oh, there's mom. Hey, mom, you just lost the race. Well, I smell hot dogs. You lost the race. Wonder how close he is. Oh, you just lost the race. You cannot become distracted and distorted and everything else by the world. Focus on the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's what we're told to do. Focus. Our endeavor. Quickly, positively, there's two. To be patient. It's the word macrothemia this time, not the word for hupomone, right? Patient. 
But there's actually two, those two words brought together in Colossians 1.9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding for patience, hupomene, and long-suffering, makathermia. So these are the two words that come back as patience for us, okay? And makathermia is a long-suffering or long-burning. Thermia, if you remember the word for lust, we talked about it, it was the word epithemia, epithemia. And it's a focused burning, a strong desire, a focused burning. This is macrothemia. It's a long burning. You have a long wick. It takes you a long time for the dynamite to go, okay? Hupomene, remember? That was from James 1, that you're able to stay under it, okay? So, as a believer, we got to be able to stay under it and have a long wick. Long burning, okay? So, to be patient. I'm going to move on past that. To be established in our hearts. And so Jesus, when he was uh, getting ready to, to be offered up as a sacrifice for us, he set his heart toward, established himself, toward his steps toward Jerusalem. That's our word. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. There was no turning him back. So we are told to be steadfast. We're told to be focused. We're told to be found, have our hearts being founded and steadfast looking toward the time of Christ's return. There's going to be a whole lot of people. As closer we get, think about what happened to Jesus. The closer he got to offering himself as a sacrifice, the, the, the battle against him got greater and greater and greater. The closer and closer we get to his return, I promise you the battle's going to get greater and greater and greater. Because evil is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Okay? You need to have your heart steadfast. It needs to be grounded. It needs to be stabilized in the truth of God's word, because the truth of God's word is going to come under attack even more than you realize it today. And if you're not stabilized, if you're not reading God's word, and you're not founded in it, and you're not steadfast in it, you'll be deceived. You'll be deceived. On the negative side, we're told not to groan against one another. Do you realize that that's what causes most churches to split, and that's what gives us the, the worst testimony? We groan against each other. We groan against each other. Oh, I can't believe him. Oh, I can't believe her. Did you groan any time during testimony time today? Just ask and don't tell me. I'm not saying you should have. And I'm, you know, but I know that that happens. You know, we groan at one another. Uh, uh. You know what, when I'm groaning, what I'm really doing? Is I'm really saying I'm better than they are? Again, I'm setting myself up as the judge, in a sense. Stop doing it. Rather, keep the focus, what? Looking to the he who's going to come. Do you know that Jesus loves every single one of those people you've grown at? Whether they're in the church or out of the church, it doesn't really matter. He died for them. Yeah. So don't groan to one another. And then, we talked about this last week, so we're not going to talk about it much now. Don't take oaths meaninglessly. Let your yes be yes. Let your what? No, we know. When you come into the treatment of other people, treat them as though you want to be treated. Give them grace. Give them mercy. Stop groaning against them. Do you want people groaning against you for all your idiosyncrasies? Yeah, you like that word, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, years ago is when I first thought about it. It's idiotics and crazies. Actually, that's how I'd like to say it. I have idiotics and crazies. We all have idiotics and crazies. We just like to make it a idiosyncrasies. <laughs> they sound better that way. We have to pause. You know, you know, false pretenses. Anyways, treat others as you want to be treated. When they give their word to you, do you want them to keep it? So what should you do if you give your word to somebody? You keep it to your own expense. When I gave a quote, I didn't go back and change my quote. If I misquoted, whose fault was it? Mine. And I'd eat it. I promise you, I can remember a job right now, I got paid two and a half dollars an hour on. My employees got paid. And I went over above what I told I'd do the, the person with this remodel, but I badly underestimated what the trim would cost me. Badly underestimated it. 
I didn't go back and tell them, hey, man, I'm, I really blew my quote. It's going to cost you an extra, you know, 2000 bucks because I want to get paid. You do it. That's what it means. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You say you're going to do something, then what? You do it. You do it. So in the end, where's your focus? Are you looking toward the time that you will meet Jesus? Are you looking forward to it? No. No? Should be. I'm looking forward to it. The only way I can get any better right now is if I'd be dead, right? Because I'm going to be in his presence. Now, am I going to give an account for things? I probably am. But I know my God is gracious and kind, okay? And I know where my heart is at this moment. Does that make sense? So I'm looking forward to it. Is there going to be some loss of, of, of things? I'm sure there are because I haven't been perfect. But I know my God knows that. Does that make sense? So I'm looking forward to it. He knows everything I've done, good and bad. It doesn't matter from that perspective. So I'm, there's no self-delusion here that I've been the greatest guy that's ever lived on the earth, okay? But my God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And I yearn for the day when this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will be put on incorruption, that I don't have to deal with selfish, self-centered, egocentric thoughts anymore. I can't even comprehend what that looks like. I mean, I just cannot even think about what that would look like. Because even any, any part of it becomes an egocentric, self-centered thought. What do your actions declare about your faith, or rather the object of your faith? So as your works, again, you actually, you have faith. And so the things that you do reveal what you actually have faith in. What do they reveal about what you're holding to? Do you believe that you, we will truly give an account for how we have treated others? Or do you think God's just kind of winking, like, ah, it's okay. You know, I don't like them either. So, <laughs> who is Jesus to you? Is he Yahweh Sabaoth? Again, that may have been an introduction to you for this, from, from who Jesus is from the Old Testament's perspective, okay? If you've never known Jesus as Yahweh, I, I hope that you do greater studies on this. Transform my life when I, know who, when I found out who he really was. I just am so in awe and wonder that he came to the earth for me. Even if none of you existed, he would come for Bob because he loves Bob. And he loves you that much. And one day, all this is going to be gone. Him of heaven, how I yearn. How I yearn to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? Are you looking forward to it? Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are coming again one day. Jesus, you are going to come to this earth to reign and you are going to rule and you're going to judge. And Lord, I know that even we who are believers are going to stand before your bema seat, your judgment seat, and we're going to give an account for what we've done in the flesh. So Lord, help us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Help us to, to understand the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Help us to, to desire to please you, not because we have to, but because we want to. Help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And therefore, then, to love our neighbors as ourselves. As just as you, you love them, Lord, that we would love them as you love them. Help us to treat others as we want to be treated. That you might receive the glory and the honor in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.